Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content at burnorangenation.com. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host, and I'm joined this week, like I am every week, by my good friend, a man whose flow is strong, so his money is long, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you doing today? Oh, your boy is doing well. That's the uh, the Texas Bowl champion co-host. I was there, so I'm claiming victory, Kyle Carpenter. And you secured the bag, which is all that matters. I've been I've been doing nothing but securing the bag all around the office ever since. You probably, if you follow us on Twitter, you know that the Tom Herman rendition of Secure the Bag is the official celebration now of the Longhorn Republic. So you'll see us doing an awkward walk while holding our arms out to the side. Uh, so Kyle... We have a little bit of news. It's been a week. We took a week off, which is weird. I actually didn't do any of my podcasts over the last couple of weeks. So it's been a weird break for me. Got to hang out with my family. Uh, so Kyle, let's just jump in. Let's get back. Let's knock the rust off. Texas Bowl. What up? So Texas, there was a lot of talk about could they keep up with, you know, the Missouri offense? What was going to happen? You know, all that stuff. Come to find out, it wasn't keeping up with the offense. It was the defense shutting down Missouri. Texas came out with a 33-16 to win to finish 7-6 and on the season, the first winning season since Mac Brown's last season uh, in Burn Orange on the sideline for Texas. You know, they finished 8-5 and that year, and fans were aghast. They were very, very frustrated by that. So, Kyle, let's, let's not dwell on the past, except we'll go back a few days. Let's look at... What happened against Missouri and how did Texas get it done uh, to, to hold Missouri, one of the top offenses in the country, to just 16 points? Yeah, I mean, the, the Texas defense, uh, this has been a podcast that were they played all the greatest hits in this bowl game. Uh, defense punting, uh, enough offense to get by. We've been saying that in just about every podcast. But uh, the Texas defense is incredible. Like I said, I think the biggest get in this offseason of, of great gets so far has been getting Todd Orlando to sign on for another year. Um, the next man up mentality that they had this year. I'm just excited. I'm excited for what next year is going to look like another year, a consistency of the same coaching staff, the same philosophy, the same schemes, not all the same guys as we've talked about here that, you know, we're not going to have hundred percent returns. Uh, we have a couple seniors and really a couple guys going pro, which is a new thing for Texas fans. Uh, shouldn't be, but a new thing for us to experience, but, uh, yeah, there's going to be some, some new guys, but I actually liked a lot of what I saw from some of the guys coming back and, and maybe some of them who, who didn't uh, didn't grade out the rest of the season, but put a you know a pretty good cap on this year specifically. I mean, I just wanted to give a shout out to Chris Boyd, who a lot of people, including the two of us, have spent some time uh, taking shots at. And uh, in this game, quarterbacks didn't want anything to do, didn't want to take a shot anywhere near him. And you know that the rest of that defensive backfield, I really think if I had to name a best player on the field besides Michael Dixon, uh, I think Devontae Davis was incredible. Dude made solo tackles. Dude was breaking up passes. He obviously had the interception. Um, he just was everywhere. And just, you know, for a guy who didn't necessarily get to the, the cream of the crop on that depth chart, makes you feel pretty good about next year what he can do. Yeah, I think you said something good there. The defense, we kind of got a preview of what it was going to look like next year, what it's going to look like in, in the 2018 season. And there wasn't a, a ton of drop off. You know, there are a couple of guys that really impressed me. Anthony Wheeler, who, by the way, looks like an action figure filling in for Malik, the guy flashed all over the field he had a great scoop and score he seemed to be kind of a, a lightning bug or, or fire starter for the team you know puna my man we're gonna lose <laughs> him next year but he went out like like he did all year he went out he left it out on the field yeah. he was a block eater he let 
you know, Gary Johnson, who played really well, led the team in tackles. Uh, and, and guys like Anthony Wheeler make the big plays. That's how this defense is built. Your, your D linemen eat up those blocks and they let your linebackers fly free and do what they do. So Puna did what he did. Uh, it was, it was just all around a good performance. It was, there was gang tackling like we saw all year, say for a couple of games. They played with a lot of intensity. You didn't really know what it was going to look like missing probably two of the the leaders on the defense you know Malik out with an injury it actually was an injury he tried to go yeah. uh, you know it said during warmups he he was he was in full pads trying to go and he yeah. just couldn't push off of that foot uh which which we were you know mocking it <laughs> saying uh, that it, it may not it may have just been him deflecting but no he actually tried to go which I respect him very highly for uh and you know they're missing you know Deshaun so yeah. They came out and they played up to their level of talent. And that's what we've said all year. If they play up to their level of talent, I don't know if there are many teams on on any campus that can that can beat this defense man to man. Obviously, you said it. They got a huge help from Michael Dixon. There's a reason why he won the Ray guy. It was just a clinic. It was beautiful. He was able to pin them. I think inside the ten. What was it? Nine times that night. It could have been a hundred if he would have punted more. Yeah. I mean, that was our best offensive and probably defensive play was just letting yeah. him do what he does. Yeah. Well, you give a team like Missouri a short field and they're going to score every time. So making them go 90 yards, 80 yards is, is a feat. And the Texas defense did something that really was impressive. And I, I looked up this stat. Missouri only made two trips to the red zone. They had made 55 trips to the red zone wow. and converted on 64% of their trips. Wow. So keeping them out of the red zone, keeping them on their side of the field is the way to go. You saw that. You saw kind of the flip uh, when they had their six game uh, winning streak against obviously some really terrible talent. The defense, we can't, we could, we could spend all day on the defense. Let's shift sides and look at the offense a little bit because the offense still showed some of the issues that they, that we'd seen from them all year. Like I said, you kind of right before the show, I don't really know exactly what to say from the offense. I think the biggest thing is they didn't have any turnovers. They let the defense be opportunistic and make those turnovers and didn't give the ball back. And honestly, like a whole team of game managers, when you have a defense that good, basically I'll take the Trent Dilfer offense, you know, go let, go let that defense be the, uh, was it the 2000 Baltimore Ravens, whatever team that was with Ray Lewis when they won. And we're just that, that uh, dominant, you know, I, I could do that. It's not going to be the most fun thing to watch, but this offense was steady. Uh, they made some plays. I don't want to sit here and say they didn't do anything. Some of our receivers came out and had some good catches, um, I thought Colin Johnson looked pretty good, as, as good as he has in probably six or seven weeks. Um, I, you know, John Burt flashed the hands, which I love. The guy's been such a speedster with unsure hands, but this year has had a couple good catches. Um, you know, had the touchdown catch was was solid. You know, I, I like to see it. Obviously, uh, the young kid, uh, Danny Young, got in there and and looked probably like our best offensive weapon. You know, and, and the 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 run game was solid, but he also was, you know, open the open the game with that opening score and was kind of the the most reliable offensive weapon that Texas could put out there. Missouri showed early on that they weren't going to cover him out of the backfield. And so the fact that they only went to him three times uh, felt a little uh, felt a little like a bad choice to me. But 64 yards and a score on three catches feels like a feels like an OK move. But yeah, Danny Young probably was the offensive MVP. If you ask me, he was all over the field. Colin Johnson had a couple of spots where he 
he had to sell out for a ball, yeah. and I think he gave more effort than I saw all season yep. from him. So I don't know what happened in bowl practice, but let's keep it up. Whatever you did to motivate that guy, because he has the potential to be a you know Roy Williams, a Lima Swede kind of receiver for Texas. Definitely. There's a reason why he's got that single digit that single digit jersey. So I think. If you get him in the right situation, obviously, I got to give a shout out Armonte Foreman, a guy that we have been very down on all year. Uh, he he went out with a bang. He had a one carry for 18 yards and a score yeah. where he just was not going to be denied. I, you hear to, heard him on the uh, sideline saying, this is my ball. I'm not giving up this game ball, which I respect. Yeah. You know what? If I scored a touchdown to seal the game in my last game as a yep. senior to get the only bowl win of my career – in the second bowl trip, I, you don't blame the kid for that. So the offense really looked good. The quarterback shuffle, I still don't get it. They were going series for series, yeah, which was interesting. And and honestly, and I'll, I'll hear your opinion on this in a second, but I think before the injury, I think Bouchelle looked better. It's it's interesting, right? Because uh, there was times when Ellinger came in first first thing, and and uh, offense moved a little bit. He was able to, you know, just kind of be a little mobile in the pocket and you kind of thought this is the guy and his numbers if you look at him 11 for 15 for 112 and a td look like the better of the two quarterbacks those aren't elite numbers by themselves but uh truly yeah i think michelle was having a good game um i'm still not out on him uh, i i do think that if i had to pick out of those two and i say it that way for a reason um that i'm leaning a little bit more towards sam right now just because of the the upside that he has but i don't know that the coaches see at the end of one season of trying to decide between either of those they obviously couldn't make the decision of one over the other but i don't think they in the same way see their quarterback of the future necessarily playing in that game maybe on the on the roster with with the, the quarterbacks we have coming in but i want to set the number and play a little over under what do you think three and a half quarterbacks who take a snap next season i i will take the under on that i think three for yeah. sure take a snap i think you obviously see ellinger and Bouchelle, and i would not be surprised if you saw casey thompson get in there in some sort of wildcat you know run package so i i would not be surprised to see three uh i i think cam rising and Bouchelle offer a lot of the same mm-hmm. tools so i would love to see rising get a red oh, shirt great uh, i'd love to see both of them get a red shirt if we have the opportunity to uh so i i think three is probably my number for i don't year. understand the math though gerald i don't know how if you redshirt both of those guys you k- keep the streak alive of playing a freshman quarterback every year for the rest of our lives so i i just don't know how that happens i would like for that streak <laughs> to die kyle i really really oh, right there with you man um <laughs> no i and like i said the offense gets some shine, but one thing I did I did want to call out because I've been a guy who um, on the defensive side who who was kind of when we were talking about guys going pro I was down on him and I don't want to skip the opportunity to just give him a little shine. I thought Charles Amena who played like a guy who was ready to go pro in this in this game and I I really hope that he doesn't. I think there's still a chance you know that that a guy could declare, um, but I just didn't want to let that go that he had a fantastic game and looked like a guy who was ready to play on Sundays. Uh, hopefully that's part of 2018 for us as well. I think another year with Orlando's coaching in that scheme, I think Omenhu can make himself into a guy who's an early Absolutely. couple around guy. Like you don't see a D end, a pass rushing blindside D end with that kind of size. He's six yeah. seven. Oh yeah. Like he's huge, but he moves like a guy who's half his size. Like he is of my mind, like that Javon curse back from the early two thousands mold or he's, he's long and he's quick and he can get around the edge. So I think another year yeah. with this guy in, in the program 
and he looks like a first couple absolutely kind of guy, in my opinion so i'd love it's, to see it's getting that consistency and i think playing under a coach like todd orlando you're gonna see guys you saw malik play as consistent as he ever has in his career you saw uh you know the cornerbacks even out towards the end of the year and start playing with boyd and uh even brandon jones a lot of that the secondary just the consistency got there um even with adversity so i'd love to see that as well absolutely so let's let's move on we've got yeah. some sad news the 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 least surprising sad news of of the podcast probably today. So after trying to go in the bowl game, wasn't able to, you know, back and forth. Will he? Won't he? He actually even tweeted uh, the morning he declared, you know, you've got to follow your heart, not your head. And I and I was thinking, man, is Malik thinking about coming back? Uh, so Malik Jefferson did a really cool video through the Players Tribune. If you haven't watched it, uh, go check it out. But Malik Jefferson is officially declared uh, for the NFL draft. He is projected to be. I think he's one of one of the top projected linebackers. He's going to be a first round guy. If I uh, if if I would be a betting man, I'd bet he'd be one of the first thirty two guys taken. Uh, so. Kyle, we losing Malik is huge. It, there's no two ways around it. Losing Malik is huge. We saw guys yeah. like Wheeler and Johnson who stepped up and did really good work and and really flashed. But you know what does Texas need to do, both whether it's recruiting or with the guys on campus, to keep this momentum going that they have on the defensive side of the ball. I think they have the pieces in place that they're going to be okay. You're not going to see just an enormous drop off, but it's tough to replace a, a Malik Jefferson. And and I think Malik has the talent to be a a top thirty two guys drafted in the league. But I think it's the stuff he does off the field. It's the the way he carries himself, the personality, the way you can build a defense around him, the way he you know represents your team. That the shirt on that he puts on his back is gonna uh, he's gonna bring pride to that. And uh, and I think that's the stuff that's really hard to replace. I, I'm always excited when a guy who is a culture guy, who's a um, you know a capital C culture guy, a guy who is a part of the team. Uh, fabric steps away because inherently someone else has to step up and that that's exciting I'm, I'm excited to see I think on the field Gary Johnson and, and and Wheeler look like they have a lot of talent they're ready to step in but I'm curious to see who the guy who steps up I think you see some personality from a guy like a Breck Hager I mean you see you see a Omena who could be you know a guy in there maybe you see um, one of the D backs take a take a step up, maybe like a Brandon Jones get a little more under him from back in the safety, or uh, PJ Locke makes the, makes another leap over the off season, or you know any of these guys. I'm curious to see who it's going to be, but I think with Todd Orlando um, and with the talent they have, there's not going to be a drop off. But I mean, I just sat there with a with a pint of ice cream and played some boys to men uh, and went back through my old tweets, searched uh, Twitter advanced <laughs> search Malik. And uh, just some of the some of my my favorites, and it really hit me in the feels. Where Malik will carry you. Hashtag one set of footsteps in the sand. <laughs> A few times where I asked if Malik could play quarterback, which is not specific to any given year. Multiple multiple tweets about uh, hashtag Maliksmas. Um, I mean, I remember that day just vividly. That was a program changer, and even though it didn't lead to ten win seasons right away at all, while the time he was there, I think. A guy like that saying, "No, this is where I'm going. This is I'm going to stick to it," and then coming through with it is is a program changer. And I think part of the success that you're going to see Todd Herman or Tom Herman and Todd Orlando uh, have next year and in the coming years is going to be a part of that mindset that's instilled. They they've got to find a leader on that squad. You know, I think PJ Locke is staying around, so he's a captain again. I'm assuming they did player voting for that, so I I don't I don't see that changing. A guy that I think will step up and is going to have to step up for this defense is Chris yeah. Nelson, the, the, the nose tackle. I think he came on late in the year. You know, he had, 
you know, two big tackles for loss against Tech. Like mm-hmm. he came on these last probably three games. Uh, but with the loss of Puna Ford, you need a guy in the center of that defense to to anchor it down. That's that's what this defense is built on. Is you your line eats up the blocks. You have a big block eater in the middle, uh, and then your linebackers flow free. And so I think a guy like Chris Nelson needs to be uh, needs to step up. I think if Texas can somehow get Keandre <laughs> Coburn to actually like stop <laughs> dating around, so Keandre Coburn is a guy that they really need to land. He's committed to Texas, but he said that he's still going to take uh, some visits after the All-American season is done. He's going to take some visits around in January. So I think that's a guy where they, he's not, he may not be a day one contributor, but he gives them that depth where you can get some rotation, get some fresh bodies in there. And again, I think Texas has brought in a ton of talent on the defensive side. I don't see no. the secondary taking any steps back. I think they need to continue to get uh, some more depth along the offensive line, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but I think Texas – has a shot to really build something special. They they were able to get the top 10 yeah. players in the state of Texas to come home. And so I think if they can continue to build on that momentum, they're not going to need to get the top 10 players uh, from the state of Texas. But I wouldn't sure. be mad if they did that in 2019 again. But I think if they just continue to build on this, I think Herman's got something going. He's got really great recruiters. He's got a lot of good things in the margin for him, especially with, you know, it seems crazy to think that a seven and six season is a big deal. But when you're preaching culture change, when you're preaching accountability, when you're preaching all of these things that mean change, you've got to show some change on the field. And so even if it's, you know, a a difference in one or two wins, that's huge. That is a huge difference for this team. And I think it's going to continue to show dividends on that defensive recruiting side. So let's let's change avenues let's let's change directions a little bit the basketball team kicked off big 12 play over the break had two big games they had a a game against kansas our kryptonite our wolfsbane whatever you want to call it they came away 92 86 loss it was not a uh, it was a back and forth game for a while kansas blew it open in early in the second half and then texas somehow closed like a double digit gap i'm not sure how they did it but they did it and i liked watching it so kyle what did you see in that kansas game obviously outside of kansas's 17 three-pointers that they hit like there's not much you can do about that uh what did you see that you liked about texas um in that game yeah i'm over the whole the whole state of kansas in general i've just been a long time absolute hater of kansas state and kansas basketball always and now you know we've redeemed the kansas football thing but still i'm just i'm, I'm over that whole state like i y- you know puerto rico's been through a lot i say we swap them out we make <laughs> Kansas a territory and Puerto Rico the 50th state. Let's take care of our brothers in Puerto Rico. But uh, um, but no, this was a Texas defense that looked elite. Um, they gave up 92 points, but they looked elite. I, I, I mean, Kansas must have hit 25 contested shots. I mean, shots that were just defended well. I mean, I, I came out of that feeling more than anything, and I hate moral victories. You, you, we've said that many times. Football, basketball, doesn't matter the sport. We're Texas. We don't need moral victories. Um, but, you know, I came out feeling pretty good because Texas – you know, played against a an elite caliber team um, and hung with them. And truly, if if half of those contested shots clank out and they don't hit 17 three-pointers with a hand in their face, um, Texas wins that game by six or seven points. And, and it feels comfortable and it's a, a great kind of season-changing win. Their defense is truly elite. I think they're a top five unit. And it's a crazy thing to think that both of our, you know, premier flagship sports are defensive juggernauts who can't score which is you know kind of opposite from uh years past certainly in basketball 
um, and sometimes in football. But uh, but the, I came away thinking that the Texas defense and Mo Bamba, especially just the way that guy, you know, can test shots and alter shots and gets in gets in the the paint and just uh, scoops up balls and just you know what that guy can do is special, and I'm going to enjoy every minute that we get of it. It's a moral victory for me, and I hate that, but I'll take it. That Mo Bamba, if he, you know, after he gets a couple of years of of conditioning and and some some extra time in the college ranks, I really no, that's not going to happen. He's gone. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I I got to I got to watch most of that game, and that kid is something else. Like he scored eleven of the first thirteen points that Texas scored in that game, and finished with twenty two. Mm-hmm. Like he is a monster. Fifteen rebounds, eight blocks. Like he he reminds me of when Serge Ibaka was at the top of his game, where he's able yeah. to to play. He's able to play down low. He's able to play from the elbow, and he can contest any shot on the court. Uh, yeah. I hope he doesn't do the Serge Ibaka thing where he kind of slowly edges his way to be like a mid-range perimeter shooter, which is why Serge has gotten traded now twice, but whatever. So I think Mo Bamba is, is a special guy, and he showed it in that game against against Kansas. And the, the other thing, I mean, just watching him, I don't think I've seen – you know, a, a half of basketball where you, the, all eyes were focused. Uh, everyone I've talked to watched that game on one guy and one guy who just meant so much offensive, defensively, everything to a team since Kevin Durant um, in a couple of his better games here. You know, it, it just it's a program program guy. And I, I mean, I'm excited for everything that, that comes for that kid in the future. So speaking of the future, let's jump a couple of days forward. So Texas was able to get its first conference win with the 74 to 70 overtime win over possibly my my most annoying school in the conference. I feel like Iowa State is always just a just a fly in the ointment for me. <laughs> Iowa State just always ah just frustrating. Now they got a seventy four to seventy win over Iowa State, a team that they probably should have beat by a few more points, but whatever we'll call it what it is. Uh, Big O Ostakowski turned in a bit of a game. So twenty five points, nine boards. Mo Bamba did it again, 10 points, 16 rebounds, four boards – or four blocks, excuse me. So, Kyle, what did you see? Texas was able to right the ship a little bit, still went to overtime. Maybe that's a little questionable. What did you see against Iowa State that you like? Texas came out, and and although it wasn't perfect, they they played a, a good game all the way throughout, and there was different guys who stepped up at different times. You saw some depth on that roster. You saw some, some uh, players besides Mo Bamba – uh, take over. I mean, case in point, I think I think Big O basically made himself look like an NBA big. I mean, I don't think he'll go pro this year. I think he'll come back another year, but I don't know why next year uh, he doesn't finish his Texas career getting drafted. Maybe not high in the first round, maybe end of first round, early second round, but he could be a meaningful contributor. I mean, the guy can play under the, the pain and the way he's shooting the three ball right now, if he can keep doing that, he's, he's earning himself a spot uh, in the NBA in the way that the NBA is structured right now he I mean the way that you said uh, Mo Bamba reminds you of of Serge Ibaka I mean Dylan Oskowski reminds me of uh, Bill Walton and not just the way he looks um but, you know he's, he's big <laughs> but and, that is a that is a touch no, they're doppelgangers um he's big and he's uh he's you know pretty deaf passer and can uh before Walton's foot injury can kind of get down low and have some moves down there um and uh, and pop out a little bit so I, I love his game um the guy I was really impressed with down the stretch was was Matt Coleman, and he's a guy I've talked about on this pod before about how excited I was and how you know he's really the unheralded recruit in this class with with Bomba stealing all the headlines. Um, but you know he started off strong, and he's he's 
regressed a little bit, you know, just hasn't looked quite as sharp as uh, really pristine, unbelievable turnover to assist ratio has dropped just a bit. Um, but down the stretch in this game, and I actually watched this game in the most perfect way possible. I, I had it recorded, watched OU lose in overtime, and then uh, basically fast forward through um, any downtime or, you know, off plays to get all the way through overtime in this one and then flipped over, uh, sadly, to see Alabama winning, but <laughs> but missed a quarter of that kind of snooze fest. Um, so it was a great, great sports night, but uh, hung on every second of, of down the stretch because I loved watching Coleman. He just took over. I mean, eight of his 13 points were in overtime, uh, a pair of incredible drives that and then the, the clutch free throws to put the game away. He just uh, looked like a guy who's who's ready to, to run this team, no matter who comes and goes, if they get you know, another next year, have another one and done guy. It could be a Matt Coleman team if he can run the floor like that. Back from my days, if you remember, to Coven Brown, um, who was just awesome. One of my favorite players to watch at UT just because he ran it. He wanted the ball in his hands. He wasn't the best player. He wasn't the flashiest, but he wanted the ball in his hands and did some did some incredibly things. It was clutch and and just was a, it was a great longhorn in my book. There are there are a lot of great things that can come out of this team, and I think if they continue to gel, I think if if you've got Bamba and Ostakowski playing like they did against Iowa State throughout the rest of the conference, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. And again, I think when they see Kansas again, Kansas doesn't hit seventeen threes, and I don't think yeah. you know Texas struggles as offensively as they did. It's crazy to you have four guys in double digits, but they still struggled a bit offensively. So I, I don't think Texas does that all season. I think Shaka is a guy that gets that put put together. And I think they continue to be uh, continue to be a force in the conference. So quickly, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the ladies, the women's basketball team, number eight in the country. Texas is a women's sports school. We've said it before, the volleyball team, basketball team, you know, women's track Softball. and field, women's swimming and diving, all of it. Texas is a women's sports school, which I'm totally okay with. So the, the Texas women's basketball team, number eight in the country, they're 11 and one opened up conference with a 10 point victory over the rival from north of the Red River. And then they came out a few days later and absolutely blasted the number nine team in the country, West Virginia, uh, 79 to 58. That, that's like 2K numbers. Like that's playing on on rookie on 2K. Like you don't do that in a video game. In a top 10 matchup for sure. It's phenomenal. So they're hosting Oklahoma State on Wednesday. I think the ladies will continue to roll in conference play, and I'm excited to see it. So, Kyle, let's wrap this up quickly and honor our favorite tradition on the 40 Acres, Big Bertha. Let's bang the drum really quickly. Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? So, like I said, I was at the Texas Bowl. Um, I actually secured a pretty good deal. I hope all of you took my advice on this podcast and secured the Fuddruckers uh, four tickets Four burgers, four hot dogs, and four sodas for $99 deal, as I did, and sat in the premium sky seats, the Fuddruckers top of the NRG Stadium seats. Um, <laughs> it was still awesome. I don't regret anything. Um, but uh, again, just a brief plug for Fuddruckers. Feel free to sponsor this podcast. Uh, you can hit me up and on Twitter. We'll get them DMs. But what I want to actually talk about was at that game, what I saw was a was a postseason come to a just a, a culmination, you know, the guys dancing on the sideline, the the Gatorade dump. It felt good. I had joy. And not only that, but it validated three different coaches in my mind, uh, with one with one game. And obvious one is Tom Herman. I mean the guy I don't know if I've 
seen someone go faster from a uh, you know the the Aggie message board saying players hate him. They just can't wait for him to you know get out. They want to get out of town so bad they'll go pro. You know whatever anyone's trying to leave the program, they don't want to be around this this poison. Uh, he's no jumbo, you know. Um, to go from that to oh, he just thinks he's one of the kids out there, you know. No respect for the gay. Who is this kid? Stupid of their love, you know. Uh, if Aggies hate you, that means you're doing something right. And if Sooners are tweeting at you, that means you're doing something right. So good for you, Tom Herman. You ended the year in a winning record. Now build on it. Uh, somewhat validated there. I think the second guy, of course, is Chuck. I mean, those were a lot of Chuck's guys. That's that. Those were Charlie Strong guys. You saw it in Malik's kind of video going away, just the respect that he had for him. That's like a father figure. Uh, we've said it before. One of our favorite things is him tweeting at fake, <laughs> fake uh, coach Chuck Strong. Um, but I mean, Puna, Malik, Deshaun, Holton Hill, Dixon is a Charlie guy. I mean, these are these are Charlie Strong guys who are all Americans. These are Charlie Strong guys who are, um, you know, going to the NFL and going to be playing on Sundays. So, so. Good for Chuck. You know, in, in some way, it's validating for him that his vision got to some realization, got that bowl win. Um, sad he didn't get the chance to do it. But again, we're, we're on the, the Tom Herman train here, ready to see what the future is. And I think the third one truly is Mac Brown. Um, not only was Mac entered in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame right before this game, which is awesome and very deserved. Um, but, you know, like a, like a president who leaves office with low approval ratings, time does heal wounds. And I think the the vision of Mac Brown in the eyes and hearts of Texas fans uh, will regress to where it should be. I mean, the end was not perfect by any means when he left that program, um, but the glory years were so good. I mean, think about we fired Mac for an eight win season, like you were saying, and now we're we're going crazy over a seven win season. You know, it's we're getting back to where he left it, but that was Mac Brown, Texas football. That was what we did. We got ten wins, and so I think there's some validation for Mac and for all the things that he did, and just to truly appreciate how great of a coach he was and how great it was while he was here. So I just had a lot of feelings leaving that game. Couldn't stop smiling for a couple of days, and have been secure in the bag ever since. Secure that bag. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think Herman got the a little bit of heat turned down under his seat. I think a loss there, and it gets real, real hot, real fast, oh, yeah. and. I was I was never I was never anti Charlie Strong as far as the man or the recruiter just couldn't get it done on the field I think he made some bad CEO moves I think he could have hired Lincoln Riley as an OC sure. which is something that maybe would have changed his fortune <laughs> early on and and Mac Brown obviously a lot of respect you and I were able to see the best of the Mac Brown years I got there with the first Rose Bowl and I left with Colt McCoy and so it was great time to be there. So I, I absolutely am on the same board mm-hmm. with you. You mentioned the Gatorade bath and this is something I put out there on Twitter. <laughs> if you know what Texas windbreaker or rain jacket Tom Herman was wearing, I want to know because there was not a drop of Gatorade on that thing after the Gatorade bath. Like That is some <laughs> great moisture wicking. So I need to know that. Tweet at me. Let me know at GH Goodrich or at Longhorn Pod. Holler at us. Let us know what brand of, uh, of windbreaker that is because I've got a little Christmas grill at a spread. So <laughs> let me know. I'd love to get one of those. Uh, wear it proudly around town in a city that gets some rain. So my my bang the drum is this new 10th uh, assistant coaching spot that has just been made available by the NCAA, you know, as of January 1st. Now they can, coaches can expand their roster to a 10th coach, a 10th coordinator. Uh, you know, Tom Herman really hasn't made any indication on which way he's going to go. Uh, they could go offense. They could go defense. I think they right now have more offensive coaches than defensive coaches. So I think, you know, they could balance it out, but I don't know if they need any help on the defensive side. A guy that's been, you know, circling is former Oregon head coach slash offensive coordinator under Chip Kelly, Mark Helfrich. Yeah. 
who I think wasn't calling plays when he was the OC. He had a hand in coming up with the game plan and strategy for the Oregon Ducks in probably their best years ever. Yeah. So I would love to see what that works out. You know, the new athletic director said on Twitter and said in some interviews that, you know, uh, Helfrich is just internet rumors, but generally when there's smoke that isn't specific sites that we will not name, <laughs> there's usually fire. So, uh, I would love to see Helfrich come. I would just love to see them get somebody who can, who's actually going to be able to coach up these quarterbacks. Right. I think that's a big, there's a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. Like I know we, 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 we are concerned with what's going on, but I think there's a lot of talent there. And I think if you can coach and develop a guy like Shane Bouchelle, who's got an arm to it, if you can coach up a guy who's a legitimate dual threat, like Sam Ellinger and get him to stop making freshman mistakes in the passing game. I think Texas is an elite team because they've got an elite defense. And if they can get a guy who's not going to lose them games by making bonehead decisions or getting sacked seven times mm-hmm. a game, I think Texas is a is a conference champion and, and possibly a few years down the road competing for a spot in the playoffs back where Texas should be. So I'm interested to see who fills this 10th coordinator spot because Tom Herman says he's going to spend the money that they've got to spend and Texas is going to be the next Alabama, and I'm completely okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. And just having really, really smart guys who've been, you know, adjacent or responsible for a lot of success has proven, you know, recipe for success. You look at the Sarkeesians and the Lane Kivens who, who uh, have come through for Nick Saban. Like, I, I love this. Let's get really, really good guys who know a lot about football um, and give him a shot. And I don't think he's going to be here for 10 years, but give him a shot. A couple years, get our offense clicking, go get yourself another shot at a head coach, man. Be a part of the, uh, the Tom Herman coaching tree. So uh, I love it. Let's do it. I am excited to see who gets that spot. Well, thank you so much for listening in this week. If you like what we do, it means a ton if you leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It helps a ton with visibility. Share this with your friends, share this with your coworkers, wherever you find it, whether it's on iTunes or excuse me, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play Store or Stitcher. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can find me uh, also on Twitter at Fuddruckers. Um, you, no, that's not true. Just Kyle <laughs> Carpenter. Um, but give me that sponsorship, Fudd. But uh, yeah, um, I also wanted to uh, just give a happy new year. I missed the last Texas pregamer, so you can't find me there. Working was crazy, lots and lots of hours, and it just didn't come together. So wait about six months and get ready for the uh, the next Texas pregamer in the preseason of the next season. But you can find me all over Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at GHGoodridge. You can follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Give us a follow over there. We'd love to interact with you. It's been fun interacting with people. We had a really cool uh, NWO versus DX conversation <laughs> going as far as Texas being the villains. And I want to see if you have an opinion. Is Tom Herman more of a Hollywood Hulk kind of guy or is he more of a Kevin Nash? I want to know. Hit us up on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening in again this week. Hope to see you next week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them and Happy New Year. Happy New Year.